The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Tonight's shapeshifter moves in, aston- in astonishing and mysterious ways. He studied optometry and went on to launch a massively successful global uh, technology business called Clickertel. Uh, he is also credited with launching a startup ecosystem called Simodisa, uh, to which companies like Sweep South, for example, attribute much of their success and the lessons learned. Uh, Isha Pandora, I've heard, speak very passionately about Simodisa. Uh, he's certainly doing a lot also to advance the critical digital skill shortage in South Africa. So impressive is the work of Peter de Villiers, the co-founder and chief executive at Clickertel, that Rulof Buerta, who is South African-born, who has just been appointed as the boss at Sequoia Capital in Silicon Valley, one of the biggest venture capital firms in South Africa, funded Clickertel. And most recently, we did speak to Peter on the day that he raised $91 million uh, to keep funding and expanding Clickertel in global markets. Peter de Villiers is with us this evening, the co-founder and chief executive at Clickertel. You were, were you seriously headed towards a degree and uh, towards a career in optometry peter was that the plan absolutely bruce good to speak to you again and uh, i actually did it for one year i had a scholarship i had to sort of pay back uh in hours and uh i just realized that what was advertised uh on the bottle wasn't what was inside and so you know optometry as a course is fantastic you have physics and science and biology converging when you go into practice, no offense to any optometrist, but you're largely a retailer. And uh, it just wasn't what I signed up for. And um, most entrepreneurs become entrepreneurs through forcing function. And my forcing function was a deep discontent with my day job. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I, I went to go and see an optometrist yesterday. Lovely guy, wonderful chair side manner. Um, but, you know, he, he checked my eyes, um, gave me a certificate to tell me my eyes were fine and tell me I could go and apply for my drive, a renewal of my driver's license and off I went. Um, there's a diagnosis to it. There's a science to it, of course. But you are tied um, to a place. You are, you know, you, you're selling your time um, and not necessarily your skills as much. And that's what I suppose entrepreneurship opens you up to is uh, to scaling your businesses, scaling ideas, making investments that bring a, a greater return than if you were sitting in a fixed space seeing one patient at a time, which is the lot of the optometrist. And thank goodness for optometrists, because for people who are short-sighted like myself, we're you know, massively dependent on them. I think, you know, what's ironic is that a large part of optometrists uh, are really about being an entrepreneur themselves and running businesses. And, you know, when I was in optometry at uh, University of Johannesburg, uh, we as a student body had to create, you know, a conference to teach us how to run a business. That's not even part of the course. So I think, again, there's great things in optometry, but the, but they don't really equip you for the real world that you're entering into. And I think that's a, that's also a theme around generally how our universities and tertiary education institutions are doing phenomenal work, but finding it difficult to, to stay up to speed with the real world out there and, and the relevant skills we need to operate uh, these uh, professions. So when does this, so the epiphany is in this first year of optometry as you're sitting saying, cover your right eye, cover your left eye. Yes, okay, you've got the letters of the alphabet absolutely right. Well done, your eyes are fine, please go. Next one, you're blind, get glasses. Um, and, and so you get fed up with that. 
so what is then uh, the the genesis of Clickatel? What is the first thing that says, you know what, actually, let us start a business which, uh, you know, connects the payments and makes it possible for people to transact over the Internet? Because in the days that you're doing this 20 years ago, it didn't exist to the extent that it certainly does today. No, you're absolutely right, Bruce. It did not exist. Um, my first uh, entree was to get out of optometry and into technology. So I joined a crowd who did interface design for optometrists. So I did have a, a year and a bit stint at a technology company who were doing interface design for optometrists just to get into the technology scene, which always intrigued me. Um, my twin brother and I were lucky that my dad, Castavillas, uh, traveled overseas often and we had an early Apple computer in, in 1984. And that's really, you know, the, the prevalence that we grew up was having a computer early in our lives and getting you know, intrigued and, and curious about computers. So from, from, from technology company doing interface design, also realized that you know, really it's not, not my scene. Um, and uh, going into technology as an entrepreneur, we really wanted to build an internet uh, commerce business realizing back then that internet commerce were early days and many folks would not get our last minute travel deals that we were going to curate for them. And so getting those deals to people in time would involve sending it to you as a notification. And in optometry, at least, I learned about pages and real-time notifications. Although the man on the street did not carry a pager, they carried a mobile phone. And to your point, mobile phones only did two things back in 2000. They talked in their text. And when we were looking for solutions to get information from a website, the largest and fastest growing commerce platform in the world, to a mobile phone uh, through texting, it simply did not exist. And we were crazy and uh, courageous, I guess, enough to go and build that. There's a term in in sort of the startup world of drinking water from a fire hydrant. There's so much water gushing out and you're trying to drink it, but you're drowning in it all the time. And the evolution of technology is a little bit like that, isn't it? I mean, no sooner do you create one solution for one problem um, than the entire technology ecosystem is usurped and changed. And suddenly we, from the world of analog phones and into the world of digital, for example, and then app development changes and, and scales up the speed of that transformation even further and faster. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, there's not many technology companies that survive 20 years, right? The technology moves so quickly. And I think the, we were lucky in the sense that, you know, we, we were innovating at this intersection between commerce and communications. And we stayed true to that mission um, around making the world better for our brands to serve their customers. And fast forward you know, 20 years, um, we now call it chat commerce, um, it's, but it's the same theme. How do we serve consumers where they are on the chat platforms they use every day? Now explain to me how this thing works, please, because I can't get my head around it. I mean, I'm used, I can go onto the internet and I can log onto my internet banking and I can do a transaction. Or I can go onto my mobile phone, I can go into my bank app and I can do a banking transaction. Now you're telling me to send a WhatsApp to somebody effectively or, or you know, sit on a chat forum and say, could we do this? Could you do that? It's weird to me. Explain how it works. Well, Bruce, first and foremost, you already run your entire life in chat. You arrange dinners, lunches. You're a, you run a household in chat, and you, you even, to, to a large extent, do very sort of personal, um, authenticated things in chat already um, in your everyday life. And, and chat, as we sit here today, 
is already larger than the internet in terms of active users. So the fact of, of, of being able to do banking in chat might not seem obvious to you and me because we're very comfortable with our, you know, banking apps and our smartphone devices. The reality is that only a third plus minus of South African consumers with, with bank accounts are using the apps. That means two thirds are underserved and we can actually recreate the entire banking experience on a WhatsApp channel that's reached you know, 2x more individuals with the same digital assets a bank has already invested in. And so two and a half years ago, Clickita was the first company in the world to launch chat banking on the world's largest chat platform at the time being WhatsApp. So it, it I suppose chat banking then replaces me going into a branch and standing across from the bulletproof glass with a teller, as I might have done 20 years ago, and saying, hello, I'd like to transfer 100 rand from this account to that account, please. Could you do it for me? Um, chat banking now fulfills that function. It's essentially the same thing, just in text. Well, you know, since COVID locked us down, we had to transact digitally, right? And that's not going to change anytime soon. We are obviously more free to move about and masks mandates have, have relaxed. But ultimately, you and I prefer, and many consumers prefer, digital self-serve channels. We know that. The data tells us that. So then the question is, how can I do this in the most convenient way? Again, you and I may not give up our mobile banking apps to do our full-end banking at the end of the month. But just sending money to your child or, or um, confirming a, a, a transaction on chat is, is super easy and, and way more convenient. And for, again, for the large portion of our population, they will not have these banking apps stay active on their devices. They offload them for the memory to have kids uh, walking, taking their first step pictures rather than having clunky apps yeah. on their devices. So there's many reasons why chat banking complements app banking, doesn't have to replace it. Um, but we know from our experience and what we see in the adoption that chat uh, engagement is very popular. Uh, you can get, I got my tax form for my healthcare provider this year um, on a chat um, experience. I didn't have to download the app, nothing. And I had it in a few minutes. Yeah, no, look, I mean, technology is moving the world in weird and wonderful ways. Um, and so now, Peter, we, last time we spoke to you, you made it pretty clear that the vast majority of your business was sort of domiciled in the United States. But you chose to travel and be based in Senlebosch because that's where you like to live. Is that where we're talking to you tonight? You are. And, uh, you know, I'm always nervous uh, in Stellenbosch with my connectivity because I'm, you know, I don't have fiber where I'm at. Uh, but yes, you are talking to me out of Stellenbosch. And, and a minute ago, I was speaking to my head of cybersecurity in Toronto. And, you know, that's just the world we live in. It's an astonishing, astonishing world in which we live. There was also a time where you were doing a lot of technology development. And you also told us last time uh, that you were disappointed with the quality of tech developers in South Africa. So you'd moved much of your tech development to Canada. But you are doing a huge amount of work. One of my correspondents, who was very excited that you were going to be on The Money Show this evening, says, what is Peter doing to advance digital skills shorted in South Africa? I'm assuming it means that you are doing something. Well, just a correction, and we have incredible software engineers in South Africa. Still, okay. It's just reached a point where it just reached a point where it's so hard to get hold of them because they are over sort of you know in demand that the parity between pay has created a situation where we now 
do many of our software development work outside of okay, South Africa. So, so that also prompted the work that, that you referred to around digital skills. And we have an incredible group of more than uh, 85 organizations uh, in the digital skills training space, anything from City to Rethink Code, Codex, Arambi, et cetera, have been working tirelessly for the last two years to really understand how do we do better in training young people and reskilling, you know, adults into this new digital skills universe. Because I firmly believe we don't have as much of a jobs problem as we have a skills gap. And uh, while all of our policies are focusing on creating jobs, we would argue strongly that if we create the right skills, the jobs will flow in yeah. thousands. Exactly right. We're going to talk about the Simodisa movement, uh, the ecosystem. We'll also talk about how to get the attention of one of the world's most powerful venture capitalists. And once you've got their attention, how to get money out of them, because that's what Peter has done, and he'll tell us how to do it in a moment. The Money Show. Shapeshifters. The Clickertel co-founder, Peter de Villiers, with us this evening. Um, talk to me about Simodisa, because a lot of people I talk about in the talk to in the startup ecosystem have very good and positive and fond things to say about Simodisa uh, in terms of the grounding and the skills and the support that it has provided for very many of the more successful ones that I've spoken to. Thank you, Bruce. Simodisa means to lead or to shepherd. Uh, it really was born out of um, our own experiences of starting a business. Uh, I think the first principle here is that we fundamentally believe entrepreneurs create jobs yep. and create jobs that are future-proof, typically. And Timidisa focuses its work on high-growth, uh, high-tech uh, entrepreneurship, largely because it, it talks to several things around 4IR, um, resilience, and really bringing South Africa into the fold of the future economics uh, and, and technology sets that matter and that really great, uh, create jobs. There are five things that hold entrepreneurs back based on our research and the report that we, that we launched every year. And we actually gave uh, an updated report last week for the 2021 report. And those five things are really, first and foremost, access to talent. You'll be surprised that that's number one these days. Um, it used to be access to funding, which now is number two. Red tape, number three, access to markets, and then the disconnect between public and private sector. So in short, we've got three core initiatives that we run. One is a, a steering position for the South African Startup Act, where we are working with the presidency's office to really help them think through better policies for, for stimulating entrepreneurship and making it easier for, for people to start businesses. And that Startup Act is is very sophisticated thought leaders helping put things together because a lot of our laws and our legislation um, are just inherited clumsy things that, that we just haven't taken a look at recently. I think in a new world, it requires uh, some doing. Mm. The, the final two projects, one is called TechSet. It's all about digital skills. They'll be building a supply chain design for creating a technology sector. And, and the goal there is to generate uh, and create one million digital skills that at the right level and at the right price can come into the South African market and transform not only the youth and reskilling of, of, of adults, but transform our economic landscape narrative uh, for the better. We believe more than 300 billion rand per annum can be generated 
uh, in payroll um, a lot. And then finally, we're looking at uh, ecosystem map to really help navigate what's happening in South African context and how people can find these mm-hmm. wonderful uh, startup and entrepreneurs and the work that they're doing. That's, look, it's marvelous and it's an exciting environment. How does a South African startup get the attention of probably the busiest, second busiest, maybe one of the busiest um, South Africans in the United States. Elon Musk is one of them. But Rulof Buerta, who's just been promoted recently to run Sequoia Capital in Silicon Valley, you ended up getting some funding from Sequoia Capital. How do you get Rulof Buerta's attention? Yeah, you know, it's it's a lot of people think I went to school with Rulof, you know, because he's obviously, obviously Afrikaans as well. And actually, the answer is no. You know, we when we showed up, to Sequoia Capital, um, we obviously got an introduction to meet with Sequoia, but we had no idea that Rulof would be in the room. He just happened to be in the room on that day. He was actually working on a YouTube deal that week. Um, and when we showed up, we could show them that we were we built an $11 million run rate business off the back of $68,000 of seed capital. And so, you know, I don't care who you are, but if you show up, with those type of metrics, then then the investors will pay attention. And so we were lucky in that a lot of our blood, sweat, and tears up until that point resulted in some success. There's, you know, even if you work hard, there's no guarantee that you're going to be successful. But Sequoia invested in Clickatar as the first company out of Africa to get the investment largely based on metrics and product market fit that we were able to demonstrate. It is all in the numbers, isn't it? I mean, you can be as friendly as you like, you can be as charming as you like, you can say, hello, mate, pal, or whatever you, however you might say hello. Um, but it, yeah, the numbers matter more than anything else. And so you've got to be able to demonstrate the value that you can create. Absolutely. And I think that a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, are tempted to take shortcuts and you know, we're all chasing all kinds of status, um, unicorns and the like. But at the end of the day, if you keep your head down, you build a solid, valuable business that adds, that makes a difference in their customer's life uh, in the right way, in an authentic, transparent way, then then success should come your way. Thank you, Peter de Villiers, co-founder and chief executive at Clickertel.